Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow. Today, let's move out of the realm of hominids and take a look at Cro-Magnon and early modern humans. We're still a good 30,000 years or more before Proto-Germanic, but in this episode, we'll start to finally see the first genetic influences of the people living in Central Europe today. To start out, we're still talking about 40,000 to 35,000 BCE. So, Cro-Magnon starts to appear in Europe, early cultural center in the Swabian Alps, and these people had the earliest figurative art, the Venus of Schöcklingen, beginning of the Aurignacian culture, and we'll get back to them in a second. The first flutes, like musical instruments, appear in Germany, and then we have the Lion Man created from Holstein Stadel. It's now in the Ulmer Museum in Ulm, Germany. So the Aurignacian culture is an archaeological culture of the Upper Paleolithic, located in Europe and Southwest Asia. It lasted broadly within the period from about 45,000 to 35,000 years ago. The name comes from Aurignac in the Haute-Garonne area of France. These are, now we're talking, proper humans. So they have the oldest known example of figurative art, the Venus of Hohefels, also sometimes called the Venus of Schecklingen because it was found in a, in a cave near Schecklingen in Baden-Württemberg in southern Germany. This discovery was made in 2008. And in fact, when we're talking about the Aurignacian culture, we're talking about all of Europe from central Germany down. Kind of, if you cut Germany in half, we're talking about the southern half of Germany and then a straight line east to west and everything south of that, Mediterranean, um, southwestern, Asia, like I said, northern Europe, so about half of Germany up, was all covered in ice at the time. What's important to note is that from this time period, about 40,000 to 30,000 years ago, there was a phase of coexistence of Neanderthals and Homo sapiens in Europe. So in this time period of the Aurignacians, Neanderthals were still around in pockets throughout Europe. Now, the Aurignacian tool industry is char characterized by worked bone or antler points with grooves cut in the bottom. The flint tools include fine blades and tiny little blades even, just a, you know, a couple like centimeters big. And the difference of these tools to previous tools is that they're prepared stone cores rather than using crude flakes. So that we see some sophistication in the tool making. And you might have heard of the paintings at Chauveau Cave in southern France. That's also them. So they, they also made pendants, bracelets, ivory beads, three-dimensional figurines, also known as figurines, uh, perforated rods, which may have been spear throwers or kind of like, like a spear shaft, um, which were also found at the site. And based on these finds, we clearly categorize our Ignatian culture as the first modern humans. 
and not some Homo Neanderthal or, or Heidelbergensis or some, um, some other hominid. These we're talking about Homo sapiens, so basically us just a long time ago. The best dated association between Argnation Industries and human remains, so a site that has both the tools and the remains in a clear connection, was the find of at least five individuals from the Mladets cave in the Czech Republic dated by direct radiocarbon measurements on the skeletal remains. So instead of trying to figure out how much sediment is above a tool, they could actually date the, the find themselves, the remains themselves. And those dates came out to be about 31,000 to 32,000 years old. So there's a much narrower time range, you'll notice, than some of the other estimates. And the Argnations were also early modern humans in the sense that they had a sort of art and possibly culture. So Argnation figurines have been found depicting kind of plants and animals, including like now extinct, ma now extinct mammals like mammoths, rhinoceros, tarpon and uh, rhinoceros are extinct in Europe at least, and along with anthropomorphized depictions that um, some take take to mean the earliest evidence of religion. So there's, you know, something that's, that's maybe a little bit more abstract than just representing a mammoth. Um, so there's some kind of thought or significance behind it, possibly. In June 2007, a 35-year-old figurine of a mammoth was discovered in the Vogelhat cave, and this is currently being studied in the University of Tübingen. And what makes that figurine special is that it's pretty intricate. When I mentioned the Venus of Hohefels, or Schelklingen, Venus in that sense is just kind of a statuette of a woman. These are called Venus figurines. And what they have in common is that they kind of emphasize the hips and other body parts associated with fertility. They have kind of stubby feet and arms but they're, they're found scattered across Europe. And one of the most ancient figurines was discovered in 2008 in Hohefels, like I mentioned, and again, about 35,000 years ago. Also in Hohefels, um, we have those bone flutes, and these are the oldest undisputed musical instruments, also called the Hohefels flute. And the flute is made of a, from a vulture's wing bone, and it's perforated with five finger holes and dates to approximately 35,000 years ago, same as the as the Venus. So, again, this is the first undisputed musical instrument. There might have been some other kind of hollowed out tubes where, um, you know, maybe it made a noise if you blew out, blew through it or across it. But this one is clearly, you know, it has it has finger holes. It really definitely um, represents a flute. So then stone tools from the Argnation culture are known as Mode Four. So Mode Four is kind of characterized by blades and again that stone core rather than just flakes which would be typical of like mode 2 which is more along the lines of Homo erectus and then mode 3 is from Neanderthals and mode 3 already has prepared cores but mode 4 shows another level of sophistication and you know it's been pointed out as kind of a more standardization of the use of bone and antler for tools. So the, the Swabian Alps are kind of interesting because we have a number of caves all just very close together within a few miles from each other and these are again some of the oldest signs of human artifacts found. So we have uh, the mammoth, a horse head, a water bird, two statues of a lion man which is interesting. It, the lion man is actually um, pretty impressive quality and again all more than 30,000 30, years old then we have another flute, uh, from a, from the, this time from the tusk of a mammoth, dating from an ice age. And then again, the oldest represented representation of a human body, 
the Venus of, of Schäglingen. These, these were finds in Germany, but, but these are some of the firsts of humanity that we have discovered so far. So that's, that's pretty significant. That's not to say that someday we might not find something older somewhere else, but uh, where we stand right now, that's, that's pretty impressive. So to take a look at this lion man, because it's a really interesting figurine. It could be as old as 40,000 years old, and it's about about a foot tall, so you know it's 11.7 inches, almost 30 centimeters, and carved out of mammoth ivory. And you could even tell that that they'd done it using a flint stone knife. It even has kind of a pattern in the left arm, so there's kind of a carved gouges in it. Now let's leave the Aurignacians behind us, and we'll jump ahead a little bit here because otherwise we'll just never get going. So the Pavlovian culture, which could also be in a in a broader context of the Graveshian culture, but but the Pavlovian culture specifically is the modern name given to a distinctive Upper Paleo Paleolithic culture that ex existed in the region of Moravia, northern Austria, and southern Poland, just around 29,000 years ago, possibly up to 25,000 years ago. So a um, little bit more to the, you know, we just jumped one to 5,000 years the culture used sophisticated Stone Age technology which allowed it to survive in the tundra region on the fringe of the ice sheet. So this is, and we'll see this more and more, like as the ice sheet recedes, then humans kind of follow. The Pavlovian culture kind of kept themselves going uh, by hunting mammoths, and it provided more than just meat. They also used the fat for fuel, hides for tent, you know, they used the large bones and tusks as kind of building material. Um, even like, I mean, we're talking building material as in for tents, like, you know, mammoth bones are, are, are pretty big. So it's not just to make these intricate carvings like the, the lion man, but these are actually, you know, like take the place of wood or steel in, today. The, we, we call this culture the Pavlovian culture because um, they were originally discovered by near the village of Pavlov, which is next to Dolny Viestonice in southern Moravia. So this, the site was ex excavated in 1952 by the Czechoslovakian archaeologist Bohuslav Klima. And there are other sites found that kind of tie in with the Pavlovian culture. Some of the things excavated were, were flint implements, polished and drilled stone artifacts, bone spearheads, needles, digging tools, flutes, bone ornaments, drilled animal teeth, seashells, and then again, figurines of humans and animals made of mammoth tusks, stone, fire clay, possibly a religious significance behind them, maybe just toys, who knows, or status symbols. And then, but here's interesting, here's, here's why I wanted to mention the Pavlovian culture. Only a tiny little part of them lived in what is today kind of German-speaking lands, namely Upper Austria, but um, they're important because there's textile impressions made into the wet clay of some of their pottery which is actually gives us the oldest proof of the existence of weaving by humans. So there's another first, this time within the borders of the Czech Republic, but still pretty interesting. So again, the Pavlovian culture kind of fits in a wider context of the Gravician culture, which they themselves kind of um, fit in with the Aurignacians pretty well. So we have kind of a continuum here, but we'll jump ahead in another thousand uh, another we'll jump ahead another few thousand years 
will get us up to 20,000 BCE. And now we're talking at the last glacial maximum, so ice age. This means that sea levels are believed to be between 110 to 120 meters lower than present. This is huge, by the way. So we're talking like 360 to 400 feet lower than what it currently is. So many of these finds today are underwater. So it's kind of unfortunate because um, we, we would probably know a lot more about these people if, if anything still survives. Um, if, if, you know, again, you know, we'd have to look under the North Sea and under the oceans and that kind of thing. So I just wanted to point that out about the last ice age. But then let's jump again and we get to the Ahrensburg culture from 12,000 BC to about 10,700 BC. We have Ahrensburg or Ahrensburgian. And again, about 3,000, you know, about 3,000 years ago. And now these guys kind of lived in, in north central Europe. So the ice sheet is slowly receding at the end of what's called the Weichsel glaciation. And so we have a, a kind of change in the environment in, um, in Europe. So we have a sort of a deforestation on one end, but then we have a formation of tundra with kind of Arctic white birch and rowan filling in the the vacuum. And their most important prey was the wild reindeer. So no longer that mammoth dependent, but instead reindeer. And now we definitely, by now we have the invention of the bow and arrow. Before This could have, I should note, this could have happened before, but now we definitely know. By this time, bows and arrows existed. Because the earliest definite finds of arrow and bow date to this culture. So again, we know we have bows and arrows here, but they could have also existed beforehand and we just haven't found them yet or never will. The Arnsbergians were actually preceded by the Hamburg and Fedamesa cultures, so I did jump ahead a, a little bit. The Hamburg culture is pretty interesting. Um, I'll just mention that they, they may have come from France originally, but traveled all the way up the Norwegian coast in the summer. And what's also kind of interesting is they might have been nomadic and, and even kind of used teepees, basically. Okay, so back to the Arnsbergian uh, culture. What's interesting is that they were in, in southern and western Scandinavia, the northern German plain, and western Poland. So this is kind of the area where we talked about uh, Proto-Germanic, but we're still about 10,000 years too early. So um, a lot of their territory actually would be at the bottom of the North and Baltic Seas. You know, we'll never know everything about them probably, but... I just thought it was interesting to point out that here we have a culture from while the ice sheet is receding, we have humans kind of following them up into Scandinavia. Which brings me to a settlement called Stelmore, which was a seasonal settlement inhabited primarily during October, and bones from 650 reindeer have been found there. Again, hunting tools, bone arrow, and then and we have stone circles, which some take to be the kind of foundations of hide teepees. So it's almost just like, I just kind of wanted to point that out because, um, or I, I just wanted to point this site out because it's basically your summer hunting lodge. So when the weather permitted, they would go way up uh, into Scandinavia and hunt in the summer. And then when winter came, they would head back down south. So it's just pretty interesting that um, people kind of go wherever they can to the limits. 
And now speaking of Scandinavia, so the earliest reliable traces of habitation in the northern territories of Norway and western Sweden date again from the same time period. So the, the overall the environment's kind of warming up and we already have people moving up in seasonal shifts and possibly also maritime resource exploitation like fishing and that kind of thing. But we have the Hensbaka group on the west coast of Sweden they, they they seem to be it's kind of a fragmented culture so again it's just kind of people starting to move and this turns out and this kind of merges into a separate culture because now we no longer have people just moving up for the summer but there's settlements there continually and the climatic change is happening so fast that we see a rapid kind of shift in this in cultural change as well and then to kind of fly through time a little bit quicker again we have uh, the Mesolithic, like Middle Stone Age, and then uh, cultures like the Maclemosians from about 9,000 BC to 6,000 BC. Again, they're in Scandinavia, and then and then come the Kongamosa culture, and then the I don't know how to pronounce this. This has weird Danish diacritics, but uh, the Ertebola culture from about 5,300 BC to 3,950 BC. So um, a good still 6,000 years ago. And these were kind of fisher, potter, pottery-making culture, uh, very at the, at the tail end of the Mesolithic period. And now, here we definitely have a culture that we can say is genetically linked to the people now living in northern Germany and northern ne Netherlands, and of course, southern Scandinavia. So, these people were still about maybe 3,000 years before Proto-Germanic, but now we're talking genetic links to those people. So that's a lot of archaeological evidence to sift through. I, I could talk about all I could talk about this all day without really getting anywhere and never getting to written history, but we're almost ready to get back on track and look at another ancient piece of the puzzle puzzle that contribute to the genetic makeup of the area. Again, so far we're talking about cut Germany in half, the northern part, but the southern part had a very different kind of influence and had a huge, another huge impact throughout Europe. And one piece of that, and, and that piece of the puzzle are the Celts. So the Celts are kind of an ethno-linguistic group because it's not just genes that define them, but also the Celtic languages. And then we're talking about kind of a tribal societies, you know, from Iron Age all the way to medieval Europe, obviously. You know, groups that spoke Celtic languages and had you know, similar cultures in, in some regards, at least archaeologically. So at some point we'll be able to use linguistics as a tool again instead of just archaeology. But before we get there, there are plenty of cultures that precede the Celts that I need to at least touch on pretty quickly to get to the Celts. But before we even get that far, next episode we'll take a look at one more interesting specimen from a from pre-Celtic times. Next time, we'll take a look at Ötzi, the Iceman, on the History of Germany podcast. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.